Welcome back to Fairs. Come follow me, Faithful Answers to New Testament Questions. I am Jennifer Roach. Today, we're going to look at a really popular question that you probably get from your evangelical friends or family. Why don't you believe in the Trinity? It's a classic. It's a great question. Um, As you know, we're following the Come Follow Me readings in the New Testament this year, and this week's reading brings up the question in um, Mark 111. The reason why is that we have Jesus being baptized, the voice of God calls down from heaven, the spirit appears as a dove. So it's understandable that our friends get a little confused about what is what is going on with us in the Trinity. So, so here's the reading. It's in Mark 1. We'll do verses 10 and 11. Um, and straight away, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Our evangelical friends hear that and say, that's the, that's the Trinity right there. Why can't you believe in that? So like we always do, we're trying to understand the actual question that they're asking, understand why they're asking it. Um, Provide, do you see my cat? I have cats. They star in this series as well. So you get a bonus of watching cats in the background. Um, Why do they ask the questions that they're asking? What are the answers to them? And what's the unique gift or the unique perspective that the Latter-day Saints bring to the question? So first, why is the Trinity such a big deal to them? Why can they just not let this go? The word Trinity is not found in the Bible. It's Greek or Hebrew equivalents are also not found in the Bible. Most most Latter-day Saints seem to have some knowledge that the ideas about the Trinity came from church councils that formed the creeds. It's a pretty good basic understanding of the history. Um, Instead of looking at how the history of the Trinity developed, there's a lot of resources on that. Um, Tons of stuff that's already been done and is really good. I don't want to do that. I want to look at what's the modern understanding of the Trinity by today's evangelicals. And it's different than it was even 20 or 30 years ago. You'll you'll see that as we go along. At the heart of this question for them is a concern about getting the Bible right. Um, they, they want to get the concept of God right. And if they can't get the Bible right and they can't get God, right? That's really, really dangerous territory for them to feel like they're in. It's a commendable thing. They want to understand the nature of God. What's not to love about that? Certainly, we have some disagreements on on how this goes on. Um, But the desire and the, the values in that question, I think all of us deeply respect. And in that sense, they want the same things that we want. So it's a really important question. And evangelicals will often think of it in terms of the nature of God being so foundational that if you get it wrong, you can't get anything else right. Um, I When I, I went to divinity school, I got a master in divinity, and it was an evangelical divinity school that I attended. One of our professors was very fond of saying, every conversation is about the nature of God. It might look like a conversation about finance or fashion or pizza, but that's only from the outside, that every conversation is a conversation about God. And that's such an evangelical thing to say. 
They deeply think about this and deeply want to know God, right? We're, we're on the same page with them on that. Um, if you're, if you're not a person who thinks about this kind of stuff a lot, um, you, maybe you don't live in your head as much as the rest of us. I don't know. Um, but we can give the evangelicals who do think about this a lot of respect and, and, and care for the, um, concern that they show on this. And if you have evangelical friends that are willing to talk with you about the nature of God, count yourself lucky. There is no better conversation to have. Sometimes you have to have it about finance or fashion or pizza, but sometimes you get to have it about the nature of God. And I don't, I don't know of a better conversation. So this is super fun stuff for me. So today's evangelical belief in the Trinity. <laughs> ah, so ironically, evangelicals don't understand this issue any better than Latter-day Saints do. Um, in Back in 2018, two Christian ministries did a survey. One is um, Legionnaire Ministries. They, they, their focus is on helping Christian believers understand doctrine better. And the other is Lifeway Publishing. They're the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. So the two of them got together and they did a survey of evangelicals to assess their understanding of the Trinity. And here's what happened. Um, what they did was ask the participants to affirm certain statements about the Trinity. But the trick was that each statement was an official heresy, had been named a heresy for hundreds of years by the church. It wasn't a true belief about the Trinity. And on average, <laughs> people affirmed three out of the eight heresies, earning them about a 62%, not a stellar grade, right? So there are some ways in which they don't understand it any better than we do. And Part of that is because it's it, it's it's muddled and it's not a super understandable thing. We would say because it's not a real thing. They would say that a little bit different. Um, and to be completely fair, in the past, if we're talking 20 to 30 years ago and and back, evangelicals really, really were fond of using the popular analogies to describe the Trinity. I'm sure you have heard them. Things like the Trinity is like water, steam, and ice. All three are made of the same molecules. Or another favorite is it's like an actor who, who puts on three different masks. Um, and it, evangelicals have actually done a pretty good job of themselves mostly debunking those. They have gotten away from the usage of those analogies most of them represent one of the heresies. Clearly, some of the heresies are still believed about the Trinity, um, but they are trying in their own context for and by them to have people talk about the Trinity in better ways. That's respectable. Um, each of those analogies, you you will still hear them, certainly, but it's not where evangelicalism is headed. Um, the thinking behind them obviously persists as evidenced by the previously mentioned survey. Um, in the more thoughtful corners of the evangelical world, they've made a move to talking more about the mystery of the Trinity, and they shy away from the specifics of the Trinity. So instead of hearing 
um, the Trinity is like a three leaf clover, you're much more likely to hear in their context, something like the Trinity is a great mystery where the members of the Trinity are in perfect relationship with one another. They're made from the same substance and yet they have full independence to act as themselves without ever disrupting the unity of the group. So that's a, a very current modern evangelical way to talk about the Trinity. It's, it's this mysterious it's community, they have unity, and they have separateness. And I'll be honest with you, when I was an evangelical, the appeal to mystery worked far better for me than any of the kind of silly analogies, um, mostly because it shows the Trinity as a community of love whose love outflows to humanity. And here's where it gets really interesting <laughs> for Latter-day Saints. You will not know this name, but there's a theologian his name is Moltmann. You have never heard of him. And, and your evangelical friends and family have probably never heard of him either, but their pastors have. And absolutely the academics who write books for them have. And the professors who teach in their divinity schools have. He is extremely influential. So why is he important to this conversation? Well, Moltmann was born um, 1926 in Hamburg, Germany. As of this recording, he's actually still alive. He's 96 years old. I had to look him up. I was delighted to see he's still alive. And you can guess by his birth year and his home country that he saw the horrors of a lot of war, especially World War II and the rise of authoritarianism. And it deeply concerned him on a theological level. And it led him to think about the problems that happen in Christianity when we have this like, hyper-authoritarian or hyper-sovereign view of God in the Trinity, which very much is what it is. That might not be obvious to you, um, but the people who study the Trinity as a theology, that is very obvious to them. That sentence alone has way too much to unpack for a video like this. So we're just going to leave it at saying he started to see the holes in the idea of the Trinity, the, at least the three in one and one in three model of the Trinity. That's the classic idea of the Trinity. So what Moltmann does is he develops an idea about the Trinity that he coins the social Trinity, which basically means he sees the Trinity as a cooperation or society of divine persons, each separate from each other, but united in their purpose and will. Are things starting to sound familiar to you? I imagine that they are. Don't get too excited. Don't go sit by your mailbox and wait for your invitation to Moltmann's baptism to join our church. He, he, he swings that in a different direction. Ultimately, what he is doing with his idea of the Trinity is to demonstrate the dangers of forcing unity without free will under a Supreme dictator. He was born in Germany in 1926. After all, you, you can see what he's doing there. However, Moltmann has introduced the idea of a social Trinity that sounds very similar to our concept of the Godhead. And while your evangelical friends don't know his name and maybe have never heard the concept the social trinity their pastors absolutely have and likely teach a tiny bit of it to them 
Now, these ideas are not identical. Social Trinity and what we call the Godhead are not identical ideas. And if we had more time, I would show you the layers of difference. For right now, it's interesting to note that the conversation around the Trinity is changing for evangelicals. No longer will you only hear, well, the Trinity is like an egg. It's got a yolk and a white and a shell. That, that's that's what they were saying 30 years ago. They no longer are saying that. The influence of Moltmann has filtered into many corners of the evangelical world where they're having better conversations about the Trinity because of him. And, 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 and frankly, not just him, all of the students that came after him. Um, Wolf is, is the most well-known one. He's a Croatian theo theologian. Um, he writes about the intersection of theology and public policy, and he is very much advocating for the social trinity. Again, he, that's not a name your, your friends or your family know if they're evangelicals, but their pastors do. Absolutely, they do, and they've all read him. Um, Wolf especially is extremely influential in pastors that have been trained in the last 20 years. Who pastors trained in the last 20 years are thinking about the Trinity in brand new ways is remarkably similar to what we talk about when we talk about the Godhead. You're, you're, the, the pew-sitting person, it, it, that's not going to make any sense to them. I'm just telling you this so that you have an understanding of, of how things are shifting with them. So, it, I mean, it gets us to so what? I tell you the story of Moltmann and Wolf to say that things are changing and that while the evangelicals are still trying to sort out what is heresy and what is true about the Trinity, the conversation is also opening up and your friends or family members are much more likely to be exposed today to versions of the Trinity that you might actually recognize than they ever have been before. Um, and that's a conversation that'd be pretty interesting to have. So what's the unique contribution of our faith into that conversation? You've already, probably already guessed, and it's that God the Father has a body. And I, I laugh because that doesn't sound scandalous to you, to your evangelical friends. It it would. They, they've made some movement. They, they haven't moved to that yet. Um, so this is definitely a unique contribution from us. You may have heard that statement so many times in your life that God the Father has a body. It has no meaning for you anymore. And you couldn't even pick out the implications of it if you wanted to, because it doesn't, it just, you don't know the opposite. You don't know what it's like when God doesn't have a body. So let me draw some of that meaning out for you. In the traditional conception of God the Father, he is seen as spirit, no physical form. Jesus gets a physical form when he comes to live on earth, but that is the only experience God has of what it's like to inhabit matter. And when God is only spirit, it is very easy to relate to him in our minds or our hearts and not our bodies, our physical form. This actually is a heresy that even evangelicals recognize. It's the heresy of Gnosticism. In Gnosticism, it becomes really important to think the correct things, to believe the correct things in your brain, in your mind, and it doesn't really matter all that much what happens with your body. God doesn't have a body. Why does it matter that you have a body? It's, it, 
It's nonsensical to them. It matters very much what you believe and what you affirm, what you give intellectual assent to. The physical form is just something to carry around your mind in, right? So in other in other corners of the Christian world, outside of the evangelical sort of bubble, they do hint at this in other ways. Um, God inhabits the Eucharist in Catholicism in a literal sense. They need to un- they need an experience of God having a body. That's what they're doing when they say that the the host becomes Christ's actual body. They're trying to get at the same thing that we are trying to get at when we say God has a body. Protestants broadly, evangelicals usually included say God is symbolically present in the elements of communion or in the Eucharist. They don't, they don't go as far as the Catholics to say it's literally present, but they too are longing for an experience of a God who has a body, a God who knows what it is to inhabit matter, that matter matters. Latter-day Saints do not say that God is just this symbol in the ether and that he symbolically inhabits matter we're saying that he's made of matter just like us so if god the father is made of matter then simply giving intellectual assent to concepts about faith can never be enough our beliefs matter but our physical acts matter too we'll revisit this concept in a future video when we talk about the tension between grace and works right um Works are things you do in your physical body. It's not just thoughts that you think. Grace is only existent. It's not a thing you can touch. It only exists in the spiritual or intellectual world. So when we talk about grace versus works, we're really talking about matter versus spirit and and the incorporation of those two, ultimately. We'll we'll get to that. Here's the conclusion for this topic. Historically, the conversation between Latter-day Saints and evangelicals has been rough when it comes to the nature of God, and especially God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. But never before in history has there been such a good foundation laid in the evangelical world to have a conversation with them about the concept of the Godhead, why it's important that we think of it that way, why it's important that God has a body. You might actually be really surprised to find yourself on a similar page as an evangelical friend on this topic, not the identical page, but a very similar one as their beliefs are starting to shift much more towards this social Trinity idea, very similar to our Godhead idea. If you had conversations with evangelicals 30 years ago, all you were getting were the dumb analogies. And that's a conversation that goes nowhere. Um, so maybe don't be so afraid of it now, poke around a little bit, see if the particular evangelical who is your friend or family has any, um, of this newer kind of thinking that's really been introduced to them in the last 20 or 30 years. Thank you for joining us. Um, fairs come follow me, new faithful answers to new Testament questions. Next week, we will tackle another question. If you have a particular question that an evangelical has posed to you or one that you have thought about and thought, I just, I don't know. I can't understand what the Latter-day Saint answer to this is, or help me understand where they're coming from. Hit me up. You can send me um, a message through the FAIR website. You can also get me at jennifer at fairlatterdaysaints.org. Would love to hear from you and I'll see you next time.